Hello, folks. Welcome to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, the founder and CEO of Whoop, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. We've got an amazing guest this week, Rory McElroy, world number one in professional golf, uh, in honor of what would have been Masters Week, ruined, of course, by the coronavirus. No worries. We still have Rory here, and uh, this is a really, really great episode. For those of you wondering what is Whoop, uh, we build wearable technology to really optimize human performance. So small sensor measures everything about your body, things like sleep and recovery, stress, and ultimately sends all of that information to your phone and phone to the cloud. You can catch some of our earlier, more recent podcasts where we were focusing on COVID-19 and a lot of research that we've done there, in particular respiratory rate which is a fascinating statistic. I would encourage everyone who hasn't listened to some of our earlier podcasts around COVID-19 to check out how respiratory rate may be a precursor to getting symptoms uh, and indicating that you have COVID-19. Now, Rory and I recorded this in March uh, down in Florida. You know, To give you a sense for what a class act Rory McElroy is, we were recording this at a golf course and Rory didn't have his driver's license. He was driving there to meet me. And the security guard wouldn't let Rory McElroy into the golf course because he didn't have his driver's license. He only had a passport. And I, in the moment, thought that was the most ridiculous and hilarious thing that literally a golf course would somehow block the best golfer in the world from entering its premises uh, because it had he had the wrong form of identification. And to Rory's credit, he was totally down to earth about it, did not make a fuss, uh, listened to the security guard, like eventually turned around. It was a whole production just getting him into doing this recording. But Rory was a total class act about it, which I think says a lot about him. I know I've certainly met people who would not have been a class act about that. Now, in terms of the actual podcast, you know, we talked really about Rory's career at large, you know, how he knew from an early age that he was going to be a professional golfer. It's very clear in listening to him that it was his dream from day one and he just set out to do it and he worked insanely hard. That was another thing that came through. You know, I think a lot of people perceive Rory McIlroy as this guy who's just so talented that the game just comes so easily to. And I found that he was deeply curious and deeply hardworking. I think when other people think he's just resting, he is working. And it may not be on golf, it's on all different aspects of his life. That was a, a really interesting theme that we touched upon. It's just all the different ways that Rory's trying to optimize himself. And of course, it's super cool for me that Whoop is one of those ways. I actually discovered he was wearing it because uh, I was watching him on television and lo and behold, he had won the RBC Open. So uh, there on 18, I see a whoop strap on Roy McIlroy's wrist and, and we'd gotten to know each other uh, from that point forwards. Uh, we talked a little bit about just the mental aspect of golf. Uh, we go over his 2011 collapse at the Masters. He had some really interesting insights into the ways that he grew from that experience. You know, talk about learning from failure. He clearly became a better golfer because of the 2011 collapse at the Masters. And it's really just a reminder to me that like, no matter how far you make it, you could be literally the best in the world. There's still ways to get better. And I think that's the, the attitude that Rory is approaching his life with. Uh, he's certainly someone I have enormous respect for. 
and uh, and proud to have on Whoop. So without further ado, here is Rory McIlroy. Rory, welcome to the Whoop Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be on. I'm a, a big fan of Whoop and the podcast, and uh, it's an honor for me. Oh, well, thanks, man. Um, your career has been fascinating for me because we're both 30 years old, and I've watched the success that you've had from like an enormously young age. And so it's been interesting for me to think at like age 17 or 18, wow, what must it be like to be competing at this incredibly high level? So mm. congratulations on your career and, and just where you are today. Thank you. Appreciate that. Now, was it always obvious to you that you were going to be a professional golfer? Uh, yeah, I, I think it was. It was definitely obvious to me. I think it was pretty obvious to a lot of the people around me as well. Uh, I grew up in a in a golfing family, uh, even in like a golfing community. It seemed like everything revolved around the golf club. It was a very social place. But you know, all of my friends that I still have, I met at the golf club. I did the same. You know, so. I, it was, it's always been in my life. It's always been in my blood. Um, and it was the one sport out of everything that I played as a kid that I, that I really excelled at. And, uh, yeah, from, you know, from the age of like six or seven years old, I would tell everyone I was going to be the best golfer in the world. Um, I love and that. to be able to live that dream and, and it's amazing. get to this point is, is pretty cool. I don't, you know, sometimes it's hard to think back on it because, you, you don't want it to seem like, you know, this is my life and this is what I do. I don't want it to, I don't want to get all nostalgic about it. And because I've still got so much to do and so much I still want to achieve. But sometimes it's nice to sit back and be like, you know, this is, this has been a pretty cool journey. Yeah. Just gratitude. Yeah. It's a big theme actually for people that I've spoken to on this podcast, even is the importance of gratitude. Mm, yeah. Has that played a role in the way you think about your career? Definitely. And I think, um, one of the things about being a golfer is, is, people only see it's an ind- very individual sport and people only see what you do but I've definitely got a lot of gratitude for the people around me that helped me get to this point so uh, my coach Michael Bannon I- I've had the same coach for 24 years you know right, he started coaching 90 percent of your life <laughs> yeah exactly so I mean the fact that I've had the same coach and he's brought me from you know a little kid that you know just taught me how to grip a golf club to to being where I am now, my, my mom and dad, my, my friends, my, you know, extended family, everyone around me, that's, I have gratitude towards them because they're the ones that do a lot of the work that the people don't see and maybe don't get the credit for, you know, I'm the one that stands up on the 18th green on a Sunday and holds a trophy, but there's so many other people that are a part of it that, um, you know, that's what I'm really grateful for. Well, one of the, uh, and we spoke about this quickly on the phone, like one of the best commercials I've ever seen in my life was the Nike commercial with, uh, with you aspiring to be Tiger Woods. Yeah. And again, we're the same age, so I can picture you watching those Tiger Woods highlights at every phase of your career. Mm. And then the, the, you know, the iconic commercial ends with you, um, you know, walking down the first tee next to Tiger. Yeah. That's pretty. I'm getting goosebumps just sort of. It, you, no, it's a, it's a commercial it. it's really literally cool. that gave me goosebumps. And it must be so fascinating for you to, to have followed that journey. It is. You know, Tiger was a huge hero of mine growing up. And, you know, sometimes they, they say that you should never meet your heroes because you'll be disappointed. But I, I've gotten to know Tiger a lot over the last few yeah, years and, and I've, I haven't been disappointed. He's, he's always been so good to me and he's been really good with my parents, oh, that's um, cool. which is really cool. Like I think he valued his relationship with his parents so much and his dad. And I think he sees a sort of similar relationship that I have with mine. And every time I see him, he asks about them. He, you know, so 
the fact that yeah, I was I, I idolized him, and I had posters of him in my bedroom wall, and the fact that now I get to compete against him, and I you know that's a that's a cool thing as well. I mean, it's again, I maybe don't think about it as much as I should because I don't want to get all nostalgic about it. But it's a you know if it just goes to show if you have a dream and you work hard enough at it and you do the right things. You know, anything is, is anything's possible. possible. Yeah, it is. yeah. And shout out to Nike for an epic commercial because <laughs> exactly. they, ca- they captured that incredibly well. Yeah. Now you mentioned your father. Um, we both are also only children. Okay. And so I I know what that's also like in terms of building a relationship with your parents and how mm-hmm. much also your parents can invest in you. Yeah. Right. Because there's just so much of a focus, mm-hmm. and I imagine that was true for you in, in building your golf career. The jobs that my parents worked, my dad would work sort of in the evening times in bars and restaurants and stuff. And my mom worked night shifts in a factory. So it was always this, I always either spent time with my mom or my dad. It was never both of them together because yeah. they were always always working. So I remember as a kid saying to them, like, why can't we be like a normal family? Yeah. And obviously at that point I didn't understand and they were they were working so hard. Like my mom didn't have to work night shifts, but she was working to make more money to help support me and try And your dream. And my dream. Yeah. And you know, and it was always my dream. It was never theirs. That's I think important, that's important. Right? It's very important. They encouraged me and they supported me, but they never pushed me in a certain direction, which now as thirty years old and um you know, I, I appreciate that because I know a little bit more about the world and I've and I've seen what happens to these child prodigies that are great at something and their parents push them a certain direction, you know, they, they burn out by the time they're in their mid-twenties. So um, I really appreciated what my mom and dad did for me. Would you say that's like, how, how did you avoid that, right? I mean, there's so many examples of child prodigies and you were a child prodigy because you were winning all these tournaments. You were the youngest person to, you know, make a number of accomplishments on both the European tour and the PA tour. How did you prevent that in your life? Again, it was it was my dream. It was no one else's. Yeah. Um, and I, and it's I, an inner belief. It is. It's, yeah. it's something that has to be inside of you. It, 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 it's even something you can't be told what to do. You can't be. I, I'm, I'm stubborn by nature. So if someone tells me I can't do something, I want to do it. Yeah. Sure. Um, I think as well, when I was sort of climbing that ladder and, and trying to become the, the player that I wanted to be, I had people around me that didn't let me get too big for my station, right? They didn't let my ego inflate. They didn't, you know, I still remembered where I came from. I remembered that, you know, my mom and dad will always be my mom and dad. I always had a pretty good sense of perspective on things that even if I become the best golfer in the world, it doesn't change who I am as a person or how I should treat people or, you know, so I've always, you know, my parents always instilled that as well. It doesn't matter how good or how big or how whatever you are, you still have to be a nice person and be yeah. polite and have manners and all that stuff. So that, that was big as well. Well, you clearly carry that. I mean, I think you're an unbelievable ambassador for, uh, for the game in that regard. And it, it's an interesting case study on having the same core group of people around you and how stabilizing that can be. Because yeah. you hear a lot of stories, I feel like, of professional athletes or, or child prodigies in different regards, and they have this sort of evolving group of people around them. And you know, I think a lack of that support group probably is, can be quite difficult as you get more and more successful a hundred percent and I think as well not all those people that you, that start to come into your life or are aligned in, in the same beliefs and um, you know they don't have your best interests at heart all of the time they're maybe looking out for themselves or they're 
you know, they're, they're trying to advance what they're, what they're doing. So, you know, I, to be able to keep my core group of friends that see me as who I was when I was a kid rather than who I am now is, is very important. I want to talk a little bit about sort of two different phases of your career. So early, early stage career and then, and then how you think about your career today. Mm-hmm. When you were, you know, 18 or 19, what was the, the sort of typical day like is if you think about, hey, I want to be the best golfer I can be? Yeah, it was definitely more um, practice-driven. Golf-centric. Uh, golf-centric. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really watching what I ate. I wasn't, I, I, it, was more, it was golf. It was golf, golf, golf. And, and how much golf would you play in a day? I mean, when I was a kid, like that, you know, 15, 16, 17, I mean, there was days where I'd play 54 holes. Yeah. I'd go around three times yeah. and I'd hit balls. And, I, and that's one of the great things about Northern Ireland where I grew up. In the summertime when I was off school, it would get light at 6.30 or 6 or even earlier, but it wouldn't get dark until 10 p.m. Right. So I had this huge window of time where I could play golf and just hang out at the golf club. And, um, and that was really important as well. You know, and that's where I, I honed my skills, but I also met my friends. And I did all, you know, as I said, you know, it was a real hub of the, the town where, where I grew up. So um, I, pl- I played a lot. I practiced a lot. Golf was what I did. It was my life. I, I, you know, when I went to bed at night, I was thinking about the next day going to the course. I, you know, I had probably two of my three meals a day at the golf club, all that sort of stuff. And if you think about how that's shifted a little bit, like when did you first introduce fitness? I mean, you're a strong guy. It's very clear you're a strong guy. I, so I had back problems when I was 18 or 19. Okay. Um, I had a herniated disc, L4, L5. Um, and I was told when I was 19 that, you know, if I didn't sort this out, if I didn't get stronger, if I didn't, um, if I wasn't more diligent on the uh, health side of things, that my career could only last a handful of years. Right. Um, so that's when it really hit home to me. I'm like, oh, I, I need scary, to, I, yeah. it is scary. And yeah. Especially as a golfer, you think your career is going to last forever. And it can if you if you stay healthy. Yeah, you figure, hey, I'm going to be able to play this until I'm 80 years old. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I think that's one of the beauties beauties about totally. golf is, is totally. that you can. But it, it really hit home with me. So after after that, and after basically getting into an MRI scanner every four weeks to see how my back wow, was. Wow, that's and, a lot. Yeah, yeah it, it was so. That's when I was like, okay, I need to get stronger. I need to I need to put a structure in place so that this isn't going to be an ongoing problem. So that was when I was sort of like 20 years old. Um, so 2010 was when I started. And then 2011 is when I started, you know, I won my first major then. And so I always correlated fitness and getting in shape and making my health a priority. I correlated that with playing my best golf. And that's why I've continued to, to do that since. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Right after you introduce fitness, we're talking a matter of months, really, Mm -hmm. where your career starts to go into a different inflection. I think people underestimate, so the casual observer of golf underestimates just how insanely mental the (laughs) game is. And in 2011, right, you're leading the Masters, and you've reflected on this as being a a high for you, like in, in, you know, how it's shaped your career. Talk about the mindset you had that day um, you know, we're talking about the, the Sunday of the Masters. You're, I think, leading by four shots. Yep. What was your mindset going into that round, if you reflect on it, and where did it potentially go wrong? Yeah, so I think back to 
2011 and the Masters. And I, on the last day, I was, I was trying to be someone else that I wasn't. Hmm. You know, I was trying to be, I was almost trying to be like Tiger Woods. I was trying to be hyper-focused, not look at anyone, not talk to anyone, like real business-like, real, and that's never been me. I, you know, I, I approach it a different way. I, I play my best when I'm a little more happy-go-lucky and relaxed and almost like casual about it. You do seem relaxed and casual about it, like watching as a fan. And that, that's why I, that's how I play my best golf. Yeah. But I thought to win the Masters, I need to be like this. You need to be a different person. I need to today. be like Tiger. And know, that was my that was my mindset, and that's that's where it went wrong for me. And and so you you almost embodied a slightly different version of yourself just for that round. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think as well I, at that point I wasn't as into the mental side of things as I, as I am now. So you know I would you know I'd watch the coverage in the morning, and you know I'd maybe hear what they're saying about me or about the other players or. Um, so you'd be paying attention to the commentary of the tournament you were playing in yeah. versus, say, ignoring it or focusing Ex- on yourself. Exactly. And today, would you say you focus more on yourself? Way more, yeah. One of my pet peeves at golf tournaments is the golf channel's always on. Yeah. I'm like, guys, why, why is everyone watching this? It, it's doing none of us any good. Oh, literally, it's on the television It's on the set television, at the like tournament. in the locker rooms or in the, you know, so it's hard That's to That's a great observation, it, but, yeah. But, you know, it, it would be like guys getting ready for a, you know the World Series game, and they're watching the you know the the pre yeah. you know the pregame analysis. And it's like, geez, I don't think we really need to see that. Yeah, I would so, imagine that's quite distracting. Yeah, so that's why you know I, I made a promise to myself a few years ago. I'm never going to watch, even you know, I, you can go on in the mornings and watch like PGA Tour Live and see what the morning grips are doing, and maybe see where how the golf course is playing or the pin positions or any of that stuff. Yeah. But I don't even because if I see a guy hit it in a spot, I'm like, oh, that doesn't look very nice over there. You know, it just it, it just changes your mindset exactly. A bit. So I, 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 you know, the last few years I made a promise. I don't when I'm at tournaments, I don't watch any golf. I don't, I don't listen to what they say. I don't read any news articles. I just I, I shut myself off from all of that. And where does your phone fit into that mix? I'm a big believer in less is more with phones. Totally. And, uh, I read Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport last year. And that, that really opened my eyes to, to what happens to your brain when you're on your phone for, for such a long amount of time. Or, um, you know, he talks about prefrontal cortex and how that inhibits your, your cognition and, and decision making. And, you know, so I, I try to, you know, I, I'm not going to restrict myself from my phone, but um, I have an app called Freedom, which basically it's a URL blocker, which um, blocks like Instagram, blocks Twitter, blocks anything. You can block certain words like oh, in a Google search. So yeah. like, so nothing about myself would come up. Um, so I just, which I really, is important. Yeah. So you kind of create this, this lane that you're playing in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, and I, I like to switch off from when I'm at a golf tournament, when I get back, you know, like last week we were in Mexico and I got into Narcos, Mexico. I was like, oh, I'm in Mexico. I might. So I, <laughs> I couldn't wait to get back to the room and put on like a couple episodes of. So of you'll, that on you'll watch a television show or something to sort of decompress. Yeah, I watch a television show. Um, when my wife travels with me, we, we do jigsaw puzzles. Oh, that's we do, cool. We puzzle a lot. She loves doing them. She's a huge advocate of not being on your phone. Like that's anytime great. I ring her, like she doesn't have her phone with her. That's healthy because I imagine it would actually be distracting for you too if she's on her phone all the time. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and 
I think I've a I've a healthy relationship with my phone. I don't think that was always the case. I, I would would have been on Twitter and Instagram a lot, and I would have. But I, you know, it's it's so habit forming, and it's you know, I think for me, if I'm going to use my phone, I want to use it intentionally, and not because of a habit. And and that's the big thing. Yeah, I think in general, people's brains are overstimulated, and probably people's bodies are understimulated. Yes, exactly. And, and you have an advantage as a professional golfer to be on the right side of that equation. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's it sounds like you've approached that in a really smart way. Definitely. I I read a thing. Just one more point on this. I read a thing. You know, the biggest thing that happened in the in the twentieth century was people realized what overconsumption of food and drink and you know did to their bodies yeah. so people exercised and they went on diets and i think in the 21st century people are going to realize that the overconsumption of information is going to make you do this like mental diet mental detox where you have to get away from it and you have to put yourself on a sort of that an information diet totally basically because that's you know with mental health and with all these other things that are that are so and prevalent in this day and age, I think that's where, you know, that's probably going to be one of the biggest discoveries of, of the next few years. I completely agree. I actually think we're going to get to a place where like cell phone surface is either on or off and mm. you can actually go into areas that are like intentionally cut off. Yeah. And so it's more of a focus on the people that you're with or the experience that you're having. Yeah, I used to love getting on airplanes that didn't have Wi-Fi yeah, because right. you're like, oh, this is going to be a nice couple hours of just me time. But Obviously, that's even that's that's not very you know. There's Wi-Fi everywhere you go nowadays. Now, if we go back for a second, so 2011, you have this master's experience. I imagine right afterwards you're in a bad place. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah, very fair. Um, you know, it was it was tough. My mom and dad weren't there, and I didn't. You know, I I the night of was was rough. I had a few friends there, and it was. It was tough, but we had dinner with David Faraday. Oh, cool! Which was like he—he's he, a character. He cheered me up, and yeah. my mood was boosted. So, and I didn't talk. My mom and dad were back in the UK, so I didn't talk to them until the next morning. Okay. And when I I talked to my dad, it was fine. He was like, "Look, you'll have more chances. It's fine." But when I spoke to my mom, I just broke down. Yeah. I just was like, you know, this is. It was rough, and I think I needed that. I needed that, like a reset. Talk with her and and to cry and let it all out. And and after that, I was motivated. I was like, you know, this is what happened yesterday. Isn't it's not going to define me, and it's that isn't who I am as a golfer or a person. And I'm going to take this experience and I'm going to use it to make me better. And, and that, that's what I tried to do. And when you say that, like, are you just saying that sort of? wants to yourself or are you actually creating a process in which you're reiterating that to yourself some form of visualization or meditation or anything like that yeah i think you're creating a you're creating a process but you're also you know sometimes the fear of failure is a good thing yeah um so you know for me it was i never want that to happen again and i'm never gonna you know i i've always prided myself in learning from my mistakes and i made a lot of mistakes that day and that week and, you know, maybe the next time you're not going to do everything perfect, but you're going to be a little bit better and a little bit better. So for me, it was just this gradual buildup of, okay, you know, the next tournament I play, what can I do better than I did then? And it was just putting the building blocks in place to get to a point where all I wanted was another opportunity. I was like, I, I want to get into the final grip of a major again, and I want to show myself and people that what they saw at the Masters 
wasn't a true reflection of, of who I am. So then the Sunday of the U.S. Open in 2011, you're playing a phenomenal tournament. How is your mindset different? Were you all of a sudden just focused on being yourself versus yeah. the Tiger version of Rory? Focused on being myself. Um, I, I sort of, I wrapped myself in my own little bubble. Um, I remember I watched a movie in the morning. I was trying to do anything I could to not think about what was going to happen that day. Yeah. So I remember I watched the, one of my favorite movies is The Dark Knight, Batman. Oh, cool. And I, I watched the movie. I watched that in the morning and that sort of put so me in a So you woke up and watched The Dark Knight? Well, I, I woke up, I had some breakfast. Yep. Um, yeah, and you know, these late tea times, there's a lot of time to kill. If you wake it's up totally. at seven in the morning and you're not teeing off to three, it's like, okay. Eight you know, hours what, what can, yeah. yeah, what can I do? So, um, and The Dark Knight's actually a pretty long movie as yeah, well. Yeah, it's, it's like almost, three hours. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> so uh, I watched that in the morning and sort of put me in a good place and, and you know, took my mind away from thinking, okay, how's the first gonna play and how's the second gonna play and oh, what happens if he does this? Or I just, I got away from all of that and I just put my mind in a, in a different space. And when you play in a, I mean, any tournament, are you visualizing like where you wanna put each shot um, before a round or is that mostly happening in the round itself? Uh, I think for, for me uh, that happens on the range. So I'll try okay. to I'll try to replicate a certain shot that I'm trying to hit on the course. That makes sense. So you know if I like say congressional that week it was a three wood off the first so you know I'd try to recreate that first tee shot in my mind okay I'm gonna try to hit a little draw you know this pin out on the range is actually the right bunker and you're trying to take it off that so you're always on the range is where that would a little closer to a little closer to when you're teeing off you so you'll you'll mindset. recreate the hole and the shot right there on the range yeah and will you go so far as to like picture them announcing your name or anything like like how deep of a visualization will you actually do no, um no and i'll i'll get to a point i'll we'll talk about this later last year at the the British Open at Port Rush, where I probably should have done that, but no, it, it, it's more just the golf. Yeah. It's, it's not really anything around. It's but I remember one of the things from that week at the U.S. Open. I watched my body language back from the Masters, especially on the Sunday when things started to go wrong. You rewatched the round. Yeah. Okay. And cool. I, I I became very closed off and looking at the ground and and shoulders sort of rolled in and not creating this positive. Yeah. Right. You know posture um so one of my big keys for that last or for the whole week in the u.s open but especially the last round no matter what happened was to keep my eye line above the the heads of the spectators oh, i so love my, that I, yeah. I, so that was always something that was one of my that was my key thought for the week well you have great posture which kind of explains that mindset yeah yeah <laughs> work on because you're probably you know you're like that all the time <laughs> but yeah it's always it's it's something but i think as well just sitting up and looking i mean it makes you feel a little more comfortable yeah you're you're kind of like in the uh you're you're projecting a version of yourself that you want right? exactly and if we think about your preparation between the round finishing and the next round mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you're doing between between rounds? Because okay, say your round ends at six p.m. or mm -hmm. something. Like, go from there. Yeah. So I try to eat straight away um, because if I one of the things I've learned from wearing Whoop is that if I eat too close to bedtime, I don't sleep well. Yeah. Um, so I try to eat straight away. So if if I finish a round that does end pretty pretty late, 
I'll probably just grab dinner at the course or dinner on the way home at like a Whole Foods or something and eat and make sure that I, I eat early enough that I give myself at least like a two hour window to, to when I go to bed. That makes sense. Blue light blocking glasses. I, I started wearing those. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been so good for me just to sort of start that wind down process. Um, and you get an enormous amount of slow wave and REM sleep. We'll talk yeah, about your data yeah, in a second, yeah. but I bet that that's helped a lot because I've noticed it in my data as well. Yeah, so that, that's been a big thing, especially like whenever I am at home, I, you know, the TV's on and whatever, and if you are looking at your phone, and they're so good nowadays, these glasses, that they just look like normal, yeah, normal glasses. Totally. Um, so I do that. If I really, I don't like doing it, but if I really want to get a good night's sleep, I take a cold shower. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of it. I, it's tough for me to do, but it really helps. I completely agree. It really, agree. really helps. You know, some guys will get into the ice bath and feel like that's good for them and stuff. But for me, if I'm taking a shower for the last 30 seconds of it, I'll just say, okay, just bear this for 30 seconds. It's going to help. And uh, so that's sort of that's really my routine. I, 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 you know, everything now is, is geared towards, you know, how can I get the best rest possible going into the next day? And that's, you know, for, for the last, I don't know, was it eight months that I've worn whoop? I've sort of started to learn my habits. I've learned what works for me. Um, I've tried things that haven't worked for me that work for other people. And you know, that, that's the, but I I think having that mindset that you're always thinking about the next day, and wanting a green recovery and wanting to sleep well. And, you know, that's that's important. So you mentioned Whoop. How did you first find out about Whoop? Uh, so I, I found out about Whoop probably two or three years before I started wearing it. Um, There's a couple of trainers on the PGA Tour that were wearing it and were talking to me about it. And, and I thought it was really interesting, but... For me as a golfer, I was like, well, do I, you know, I'm not an endurance athlete, so I need a heart rate monitor 24-7, all sure. that sort of stuff. And so I sort of didn't do it. Um, I wore an Apple Watch for a bit, and that was fine, and it sort of tracks a little bit, but not much. Um, and I've used some other HRV devices and, yeah. and stuff that measures the central nervous system. But um, it was once I started to learn a, a little bit more about uh sympathetic and parasympathetic and um yeah central nervous system hrv what all that means and i think you know i i started wearing whip because i just wanted to know more about my my body and myself and how i recover and you know i just wanted to optimize what i do and i think in this day and age in golf with the technology that's out there everyone's become so everyone's got closer together you know the difference between the number one ranked player in the world and the number 100 is is actually pretty small yeah so for me i want to do everything i possibly can to get an advantage and for me whoop is is one of those things that can give me an advantage well it's super cool for me um being here with you and also talking about it and having you on the product and i i think i discovered that you were wearing whoop because you won the Canadian Open, and I yeah. was like, oh, boom, there's a whoop strap. <laughs> yeah. And a bunch of people would text me, hey, I think Rory's on whoop. Yeah, so that was, I actually wore it the, I got it and wore it the week before the memorial, um, and I didn't play very well at the memorial, but it was nothing to do with having a whoop band on. <laughs> um, and then I went to Canada the next week, and then I won, and that's when it sort of gained a lot of traction, and people were asking, what's on your wrist? And I said, oh, it's it's whoop, and, you know, it, it it's a heart rate 
tracker, but a sleep tracker. And it, yeah. you know, I sort of tried to explain it and go into HRV and what that means, central nervous system and all this stuff. And, yeah. um, obviously you can explain it much better than I can, but I, uh, I was sort of telling everyone that I could that you know, this thing really helps and it's really helped me. And I think from that, you know, I, I knew a few golfers that were wearing it. Scott Stallings was one of the first ones who's probably yeah. the fittest guy on the PGA Tour. Um, but yep. then once I won with it, it got a little more traction and then you saw a lot more golfers wearing it and you know, it's, it's become, I think you can't watch a PGA or European tour event nowadays without seeing a guy with a whoop on, which is awesome. Yeah. It's really cool for me. I discover who's wearing it just by watching television yeah. and I'll just see it on people's wrists. Now the phenomenon you're describing with heart rate variability, just for people who aren't familiar with that, heart rate variability is one of the things that we measure and it's effectively looking at this relationship between sympathetic and parasympathetic activity, which is this lens into your autonomic nervous system. And for high-performing individuals like yourself, you know that having your heart rate variability be higher is actually a sign that your body is repairing and recovering. And so a big theme for WHOOP and, and really how the company came to be was this idea that it wasn't just what you're doing when you're exercising or you're competing. It was understanding how the other 20 hours of the day affect your body. And in particular, understanding things like heart rate variability and understanding slow wave sleep and understanding REM sleep um, can play a huge role in how someone performs. Yep. And uh, you've clearly you know, taken, taken, uh, taken to that whole phenomenon. Um, have you always had a deep curiosity in, in technology or in understanding your body? Or is it more of recent? It's more recent. Um, I think once I, so I, I will say this, I, back in 2014, um, the last year that I, I won a couple of majors, I was training really hard. I had a men's health shoot coming up and I was training hard and probably for the wrong reasons, trying to look, look good for a magazine. For health, yeah. Exactly. So, but my whole thing, I, thinking back to that time, I slept terribly. Like yeah. I would, I would get six hours a night and that would be like awesome yeah. for me. And looking back on it, I real I realized by wearing whip that I was overtraining. I was completely overtrained. I was sleeping terribly. Uh, and yes, okay. I look good and whatever, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't doing, optimal. It wasn't yeah. doing anything for my performance. Yeah. So I was definitely a, you know, you only, I only need a few hours sleep a night and sort of wore it as a badge of honor in yeah. a way that, you know, I can only, I can get by and I'm good the next day where now like, if I don't get eight hours of sleep, I'm like, geez, I, you know, I should really go for a nap. <laughs> so it's, it really, my, um, my view on sleep and rest and recovery has changed so much in the last few years. Well, I've got a couple of statistics here because you uh, you gave us permission to pull some data points for you, <laughs> um, which are fascinating. Um, so one thing that that you may or may not know is that you average an hour and fifty four minutes of REM sleep a night, okay, and an hour and forty eight minutes of slow wave sleep a night, okay. So that's really high, okay, which is awesome. Yeah. So you're getting close to four hours of really restorative sleep a night. So yeah. for people listening to this who don't know what we're talking about. Slow wave sleep is effectively the period where your body is producing about 95% of its human growth hormone. Yep. So if you're a professional athlete and you're training or you're trying to build muscle, you're trying to um, you know, get your body stronger, you're not actually getting stronger in the gym. No. 
you're breaking your muscles down. Slow wave sleep is this fascinating period of time where your body's repairing those muscles. And so you get a ridiculously high amount of slow wave sleep. The other thing, which I imagine is super important for golf, because we talked about the mental side, is REM sleep. Mm -hmm. So REM sleep is when you're effectively dreaming. You know, that's when you're improving cognitive function. So those periods of sleep are so much more important than the other cycles of sleep because there's periods where you're effectively in light sleep or awake. Mm -hmm. And so if you can maximize the amount of time that you're getting slow wave and REM sleep, it plays this enormously important role in your recovery. Mm -hmm. Now, if we look at a couple statistics, one of my favorite, and this sort of sparked the conversation, is at the FedEx Cup, you had to play 31 holes on the final day. Yep. And you woke up with a 86% recovery. So recovery is 0 to 100%, the higher the better. And it's effectively saying, you know, based on your heart rate variability and quality of sleep, this is how prepared we think you are to perform. You got over seven and a half hours of sleep. What was it like? Like, how do you, first of all, how do you even look at that information during a tournament? Yeah, so I, it's the first thing I check in the morning. So I, I get up and... I go into my whoop app and it says sleep detected, so process. So yeah. <laughs> I'll hit the process button, the first thing I do, and I wait for that score to come up. And I've always said, and this is something, and this goes into the mental side, if I don't get a good recovery score, that's fine. I still have to go and perform and I yeah. still have to, so, but I always say, if, if I've looked at my data, which I have and you guys have, any time that I I have got a recovery in the green. I have performed well. There's been times where I've had recoveries in the red and I haven't, and I have performed well also, but I feel like I've, I've performed well in spite of... In spite of your body. In spite of my body instead of because of my body. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the difference because I never want to wake up and see a bad recovery score and think, geez, today's not going to be a good day because that's just not realistic. That can't happen. So, um, but if I can... If I can optimize my my recovery and I can do the things we talked about, cold shower, blue light blocking glasses, eat a couple hours before bedtime, um, read. I, I find reading in bed helps, um, but specifically a book like with pages and instead of on your phone. I think that's important. That, it is very important. All of that goes into me trying to get the best possible score the next day. But when I woke up, that final round of the FedEx Cup, knowing I had a long day ahead of me, and I saw that I had 86% recovery, I was like, well, I know I'm ready. I yeah, know I'm ready to go and do it's this. It's energizing, right? Exactly. And then you play 31 holes. Yeah. On a day like that, are you changing uh, anything about the way you're preparing, just knowing that you're going to have to be in competition for that much longer? Uh, I think as golfers, we're used to getting up early, and you know that's sort of, it's, yeah. it's always been that way. I, I think the big thing for me, and that was, what do I do with my time in between rounds? You know, I had to play 13 holes in the morning and I played well. But what I do with these, you know, three and a half hours that I've got. So, um, you know, I, I went in and I made sure to like eat enough and keep, my, keep myself fueled because it's going to be a really long day. Um, I didn't quite nap, but I relaxed, yeah. which, was a, which was a big thing. And what uh, does relaxed look like? I mean... Lying in the locker room with your feet up, um, you know, chatting to someone, or you know maybe closing your eyes, or, or you know doing something, but just more of a you know I could get back to taking your mind away from what's coming up. Yeah, you know because I 
you know, another one of Kyle Newport's books, Deep Work, is the fact that you can only really do four hours a day of real intense deep work. And so the, the more you can relax and, and take those little breaks so that you can put your all into what you, you know, what's very important that day, um, you know, that, that's a big thing. That's a huge phenomenon I've learned from high performing people like yourself is to be on when you're on, yep. but when you're off, don't be half on, yep. you know, and that's kind of the phenomenon you're, you're describing. Yeah, for sure. And so then you, you went on to win the, the FedEx Cup that day. Which I went epic. on, yeah, I went, win the FedEx Cup, which was, um, you know, last year was a great year, but that just sort of, there was a lot riding on that day as well, because two weeks prior in Memphis, uh, I played with Brooks Kepka in the final group and he was the number one player in the world and he, he dusted me. Like he, like I played not very well, but he played really good. Yeah. And it was an opportunity for me to, you know, not get him back, but at least put in a better performance than I put in that day. Um, and I did. So that was one of the most rewarding things. The fact that, again, I learned from some of my mistakes a couple of weeks before and I was able to write those and I was, you know, I was better that day than I was at two weeks earlier, which, which made a difference. Now, how much for you is golf competing against yourself versus someone that you're standing next to on the first tee, like a Brooks Kepka or anyone else? It's mostly about yourself. I yeah. mean, golf is you and the golf course. The only opponent you have is the golf course and yourself sometimes right. because, you know, self-doubt creeps in or things, you know, things get into your head or there's certain tee shots and courses that you don't like. And I mean, that's the, overcoming that you don't need to worry about anyone else. I think people get into this habit in golf where they start to try to create these rivalries and they they start to think, well, it's him versus him and these are the two best players in the world. And But it's really everyone for themselves. And you you know, if you can focus on yourself 100% and get the best out of what you do, it doesn't matter what anyone else does. You know, my lens into that has been through watching Whoop grow in golf because my sense is that professional golfers are much more collaborative than other sports. Yeah. And like if I think about some other sports, people will be kind of more to themselves. They don't want to reveal any of their secrets. Yeah. Whereas as I've just seen how Whoop spread. It's pretty clear that you guys are talking to each other about some of the things that you're using and trying. And Yeah, it's different. It's a different know, culture. It is a very different culture. Yeah. Um, even... You know, guys will share the same coach in golf. Like that would never happen in tennis, or you know, I, and the only the only real sport I can compare golf to is tennis because they're individual sports. And the thing with golf is I can't, and this is how I try to explain the difference: is if I know that Tiger Woods isn't comfortable hitting a certain shot, I can't go and place this golf ball right. In that spot yeah. and say, okay, hit the shot. Where in tennis, a guy, like, if Nadal plays Federer, Nadal just hits it high to Federer's backhand all day because yeah. he knows he's got, that's going to break down that's eventually. Edge, yeah. That is so, as a golfer, we can't do that. You know, sometimes a golf course doesn't suit your eye or it might fit someone else's game a little bit better. But at the end of the day, it's, it's totally up to what you do. And, you know, you, no one else can influence that. Now, one interesting thing about Whoop is that you can see how different environments, travel, et cetera, affect your body. Yeah. You were just at altitude. Mm -hmm. Talk about how that affected your data and your it process. Was crazy. Um, so, yeah, I played in Mexico City last week, which is at 8,000 feet. And 
it was again talking about golfers and being collaborative and a lot of people on the tour wearing whoop yeah everyone was like what's your recovery score i can't get i'm have been in the green this That's week so cool. i'm yeah. i'm in the red and in the yellow but yeah it's just your body's working harder to to try to you know get some oxygen in there and and even the first couple of days in the gym it was like oh this is even on the course you know walking between shots up hills you're you really you notice your to, heart rate's a little more elevated. Yeah, and I think it was. I mean, I looked at my heart rate on Sunday, and there was a lot of spikes up above 120. Which for yeah. me on a golf course isn't really is unusual. Very unusual. But you know, I was I was playing. You know, final rounds are usually a little more stressful anyway. But then with the altitude, with the hills, you know, there's a lot of you know there was maybe a good 10 or 15 times during that round where my heart rate got above 120, which is unusual for me. Now. Will you focus that much on what your heart rate was at different moments during the round or, or the overall strain, or is that for you more of a general guidance? Uh, so strain for me is more, it's a general guidance, but I know if I, like, I, on Monday, got home, we had a few friends over to our house, I had a couple of glasses of wine, I woke up on Tuesday morning with a terrible recovery. Yeah. And I was I was meant to work out that day, and I said no. You know, I my it's body not it. it's not worth it. My body needs another day of rest. So I will, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I can see that you know keep your strain below a twelve, or I'll, I'll I usually adhere to that because you know even if you feel okay, your body's still recovering. It's not in the right place. But you know, like today, I woke up and I was in in the green, and you know, you know rebounded pretty well from that low one so first thing i did was get in the gym and you know get a good workout in and feel much better well one interesting thing when you come back from altitude you normally your body will respond positively to that so that may in part be how you bounce back quickly from alcohol yeah we were talking a little bit about alcohol uh before we started on the podcast how have you seen alcohol affect your sleep and your whoop data i i mean i (laughs) <laughs> like I, I love red wine. Like I'm a big, I, I collect red wine. We have a nice. cellar at home. Like it's, it's a hobby for me. Great. Um, but before I wore whoop, I would have drank a lot more than I, than I do now. There would be times, times at tournaments where I'd have a glass of red wine with dinner. Yeah. And yes, that's okay. But doing it too often then leads to, you know, not great scores and not great sleep. And, um, but my alcohol consumption is way down. From, from wearing whoop. Yeah, the fascinating thing about alcohol is how dramatically it affects your sleep. Yeah. And in turn, it makes you get less slow wave sleep, less REM sleep, and it lowers your heart rate variability, which is that relationship we were talking about earlier. Exactly, so it puts you more into a sympathetic exactly. state in your nervous system. And for me, my resting heart rate uh, average is like 45. Which is low. Which is, which is low, yeah. but I... I've looked at other people that wear whip, and my resting heart rate with alcohol is at least ten beats Isn't that amazing? faster, yeah. if not more. So I, I think it actually affects me more than other people. Right? You, know, you can see some people, you know, it might be a few beats faster, or whatever. But you know, if my the other night when I had those three glasses of wine, you know, my my average is forty five, and that night it was fifty nine, so fourteen beats higher. Wow! Which is just crazy. It just shows you. I mean, it's that's one of the biggest forms of behavior change I think Whoop has had on everyone, not just professional athletes, is yeah. just seeing how alcohol affects your body. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And then, you know, I was very lucky that today I bounced back from that, but there has been times where it'll, you know, I, I listen to the, the podcast, you know, the four-day hangover. 
yeah. thing. And that, that is real. You know, it, it it's takes, a real phenomenon. It, it takes you, you know, at least three or four days to get back to, to where you need to be to perform. So, you know, I definitely think twice now about, you know, having that glass of wine or, you know. It's a bummer too. I mean, I like drinking I mean, as it's, much it's, as the next guy. Yeah, but, it's a, it But is, it just helps you focus, I think, to recognize it, how it affects your body. I think it's a little bit like the phone thing. It can become a habit. But yeah. if you can do it intentionally and, okay, I'm okay knowing that tomorrow I've got nothing going on and I can have a bad recovery score if I have these couple of glasses of wine and that's fine. But it's, again, that's the one thing that Whoops taught me more than anything else is what are good habits for me to wake up the next day and be ready to be do what I do. Be the best version of yourself. Exactly. Uh, now, do you experiment at all with things like melatonin or yeah. magnesium? Yeah. What, what do you like to take? Uh, so I, I take a magnesium supplement every day. Um, I do too, by the way. Yeah. And I've actually, so I tried, so there's a few golfers now that are like sponsored by CBD companies. Oh, interesting. So I've taken a couple of times CBD oil with melatonin. Okay. And I've really liked it. I, I, again, I don't want to do it all the time. But there's been some nights where I'm like, you know, I just, I really want to sleep and your mind might be, your mind might be racing. You're thinking about some stuff. Um, and I've taken it, I've probably taken it like once or twice a week for the last month. And it's, it's helped me. And on those specific nights, do you notice the next day more REM sleep or slow wave or higher recovery? Um, Anything in particular? Maybe you fall asleep faster? So I think my, my latency has probably been a little bit Quicker, like so I sleep could, latency is the amount of time that it takes to fall asleep. Yes, it sounds yeah. like that's shorter when exactly. Yeah, um, it just helps me relax. Sometimes I'll, you know, if that instead of maybe taking a supplement, I'll put on um, the Calm app and like listen to a oh, sleep yeah. story or listen to something like that, and that helps me sort of wind down and drift off. But um, that's the only supplement that I've taken that that you know, and melatonin as well. But you know, I, I take. Um, I take magnesium. Um, I think zinc's pretty good as well, but yeah. I, I don't take zinc. Um, but I, I take all I, omega-3s and all the stuff. That, so the normal vitamins. Just normal you think vitamins. Are good. I, th I think so. Um, I think anything that can be like anti-inflammatory and, and is, is a good thing. But yes, but that the CBD oil with the melatonin I've taken a couple of times and I feel like it's helped a little bit. If we go back to altitude for half a second, so I'm looking at uh, at your data here for um, for the Mexico Championship, and it's interesting. You were actually getting a lot of sleep, but to your point, your recovery scores weren't as high as they are at most tournaments. Yeah. So that probably shows that the the altitude was getting to your HRV a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And and I was doing everything right to try to to yeah. try to get good sleep, and and yeah, I just it. You know, maybe I wasn't there long enough to adjust. So when did you arrive? So I arrived uh, Monday night. So Monday night, yeah. It's, that's almost like a challenging period of time where sometimes it's like the first night there or the second night there. You might be able to, to get through it okay. just like the first night. Yeah. We, we worked with uh, the U.S. Olympic swim team, I remember, a few years ago. And they had this fascinating moment for the Olympic trials where... They showed up like three days before the event, and it turned out on their on their whoop scores, they they had a high recoveries right the next day, and then they dipped. Okay. And then they actually came back, so they timed it 
as poorly as you could, <laughs> where like all of the recoveries were lowest um, on the day of the trials. And then when they traveled the next time, they actually got there like a week in advance. And okay. so it was high and then dip and then it came back. Yeah. And I don't know exactly how, you know, it's probably a little different for everyone at altitude. But, um, you know, the good news is you, don't, you weren't in the red during the tournament. No, yeah. No, I, I try my best to not. And, and it's probably... It's probably empowering for you to know that you're so focused on this sort of thing, whereas someone else who's maybe not measuring these things or managing them might be, you know, at a disadvantage, you know, than you at the tournament. Yeah, exactly. And that's going back to, you know, having every little advantage that you can because I feel the game of golf right now is so bunched yeah. that if you can differentiate, differentiate yourself or you can do something that other guys aren't doing, then it has to be a little advantage. It was interesting. I think four of the top five, like on Sunday, were whoop wearers. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, it's it's becoming the norm. All of this recovery stuff, it's still in its infancy, and there's so much more that we can learn about totally. it. Yeah. And But the fact that it has had this following and people are really latching onto this idea that, you know, during the night when we sleep, if we can optimize that, we're going to perform better the next day. And like, who doesn't like sleeping? Yeah, like it's, a, it's a nice thing to do. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing to be good at. Exactly. Now, uh, if you think about where you are today in your career and we reflect back on, you know, younger Rory, age 18, age 20, what are some of the things from a mental standpoint that you're more focused on now? So I... So one of the things, you know, people can look back at my career and, and they do and they see the times where I've played really well and I've won major championships and I've you know done all that stuff. And every time they'll say, what was different that week? And I say, well, I was just in a really good place. But what does that mean? So for me, what I've tried to do the last couple of years is, is think about, okay, how can I get myself into that mental place more often? And how can I put a structure around it where you know, I actually have control of it because, yeah. you know, I felt like there was just some weeks I turned up and I felt good and I played well yeah, and, it, and it was more by accident. So for me, it's about trying to put a structure around everything and, and again, learning from my habits and okay, what, what enables me to do this well and when do I feel good and what's, you know, so, um, I started to read a lot more like I, and a lot of the stuff is self-help and, and stoicism. And I'm a big fan of Ryan Holiday and Cal sure. Newport and these guys, but yeah. I like it. I I've gotten into it and say maybe five years ago when I was younger, I never liked embracing a challenge. I loved when it was easy and everything was going well because you know, who doesn't, but yeah, I've really tried to embrace the times when it is a challenge and things aren't going your way because that is ultimately what will make you better. What are some of the tips that you've picked up um, regarding the mental side of it that um, you feel like have helped you? I mean, obviously, I, yeah, you're so a lot. I, you know, I, so I try to practice all like the P's, so patience, poise, perspective. Um, perspective to me has always been a big thing. You're trying to put everything in perspective. Yeah. So if you're having a rough day on the course, who cares, right? You know, it's, there's other things in life that are much more important. So, you know, not trying to make things bigger than what they are. Yeah. Um, that's always been a, that's always been helpful for me. You know, if I'm having a bad round, I can always think, well, when I get off the course, my wife's going to be there and I'm still going to get a hug from her and my mom and dad are still, you know, so there's a lot of different things that you can do, but you know, for me, 
preparation is, is big. If I know that I've prepared and I've done everything that I can to enable myself to play well, you know, some days it's just not going to happen and that's fine. But I at least want to go into these tournaments knowing, well, you know, I I've, I've feel like I've done everything I can. I don't feel ill-prepared because if you feel ill-prepared, you're panicked and you're not really where you want to be. So preparation for me has been huge and, and learning what learning what that good preparation is because it's different for everyone. Totally. You know, people, yeah. Some people like to practice more. Some people like to play more. Um, and what I've, what I've started to do over the last few years, I used to love to just hit balls on the range and I've started to play more and try to simulate certain conditions and try to, you know, even in practice rounds at tournaments, I'll have a bet with my caddy Harry and I'll always try to like, for one night that tournament week, we always play for dinner. So I'll always, oh, that's cool. so he'll set me a target and say, okay, you know, if, if you shoot 64 better today, I'll pay for dinner. So then it's always a, it's like a little like mini pre-tournament before the tournament starts just to get me in that, in that mode of, you know, going through my routine and doing the right things and, you know, just getting into that mindset. When you do a practice round like that, how much does it feel like you've prepared for that like a real round and how different does it feel in the moment? Um, it's, it's hard. So I, I try to do... So we, we usually have to do these proams on Wednesdays, right, which so are which are tough sometimes. A right? bit of a You're, distraction, a, right? a little bit. Yeah. Um, but in a way, it's you're getting an extra look at the golf course. So if you can sort of use that to your advantage, so that's when you know maybe the first nine holes of that proam, I'll I'll try to spend time with my amateur partners and you know yeah. help them out, whatever. But then the second nine, once Harry sees that I'm losing interest. That's when he'll say, right, concentrate, nine holes, shoot three under par, everything in the hole. Like, you know, so tries to get me in at least a little bit of a focus mode before going into the first day. Then, you know, yeah, the next totally. Day. It's actually kind of surprising that that's the day before the tournament. Yeah. It's almost um, like it would be better if it was a Tuesday or Monday. Yeah, some of, the, some of them have started to adopt doing like Tuesday pro-ams yeah. and uh, even Monday pro-ams. But um, the nice thing with the bigger tournaments, the majors, the players, um, they don't have pro-amps so you know you can get into your get into your sort of focused mindset when you need to one thing i I find just fascinating in talking to you is you're literally the best in the world at your sport and yet you are so deeply curious and Mm. you know the fact that you're reading self-help books when you're the best is sort of (laughs) amazing right and i think it's it, it should be inspiring for anyone i know it's certainly inspiring for me it's just this point of view that like you can keep getting better and you can keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. Yeah. And, um, and it reminds me a little bit of all the outpouring that's come out for Kobe Bryant and, and how much people talked about how he was just constantly learning, constantly learning, constantly yeah. learning. And you guys have some similarities in that regard too, in that, you know, you, you both of you sort of had these shortened, uh, school experiences, right? Yeah. And so it's interesting that you've, you've tried to apply that in a lot of ways to your, your life is just like diving deep on your own education in other ways. So that's one of the things I say to people now is I wish I had this uh, hunger and thirst for learning back when I was in school that I do yeah. now. I, I, I feel a little bit the same way. I, I sort of, but I think you, you need to figure out what's important and what really gets into you or, or, you know, like for me, reading these books has been, if I found a subject in school that I liked so much, I probably would have stayed in yeah. school, but I, I didn't. So I think it's been this journey for, for me of, of, okay, what do I really enjoy? And I enjoy reading about P 
people throughout history that have gone on to do great things and what can I learn from them and what can I apply to my own life? And so that's the, that's the fun part of it. And yeah, again, I, I, just because I'm the, you know, I'm ranked the best at what I do, it doesn't mean I can't get better. Totally. You know, and, and I, I, the day that I, the day that I stop trying to get better is the day that I'm going to, you know, hang the clubs up and, and do something else because, you know, I feel like that's what's led me to this point. I'm constantly, I'm even, you know, I'm asking guys, you know, how do you play a certain shot or, you know, what do you think about when you're putting or, you know, how do you read a certain, you know, I'm always, I'm always just, I think it's just, it's either it's in you or it's not. And yeah, it has to be in you. Yeah. And, and for me, it always has been that way. Because talent can really only get you so far. And then hard work can only really get you so far. I think that deep curiosity, mm-hmm. that could be a huge edge. I think so. I, and I've, there's always been this stigma, stigma with me over the years is, oh, he's just insanely talented and, you know, but. Does that, does that bother you? It does bother me because I know how much work that I've yeah, put in. And, and, you know, some people, yeah, you know, people only see me at golf tournaments and they, like, I, I try to spend as the least amount of time at the golf course as I can because I want my time, I wanted to be efficient and I want to do my warm up and do my practice, play the golf and get out of there. I'm not spending 12 hours a day at that place because I don't need to. Yeah. And it's not good for me. But I think people see that and they say, well, he just shows up and he does his thing, but they don't see when yeah. I'm home and they don't see all the stuff that I do. And um, I, I did an interview a couple of weeks ago where journalists asked me something similar. Does it, you know, does it get to you that people just see, you know, say that you're talented? And, and I said, there's two guys where I live down in Jupiter that practice harder than anyone else. And it's myself and Justin Thomas. And there's no... Justin Thomas, whoop guy too. Yeah, exactly. And there's no coincidence why we're two of the best players in the world. I see how, how hard JT works and you know he sees how hard that you know that I work and we you know he's only child as well. We sort of have some similarities oh, cool. and yeah I didn't know that. Um, so I have a lot of respect for JT because I see how hard he works and 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 I think he he tries to put as much into his game as I do. And again there's no coincidence why we're you know two of the, the top players in the world. I imagine you've gotten to know a number of really fascinating people just, you know, in the last couple decades. Like yeah. who, who are some people that you've learned a lot from or, you know, tried to pick, pick little insights on, on your own journey? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been lucky enough. I've, I've, I've met a lot of really cool sports people um, and some people that I didn't, not that I didn't like before I met them, but I wasn't really that interested or I, you know, I, so I, I come you know, from the UK, soccer is huge for us. So, you know, meeting a soccer player, meeting someone that played for Man United back in the day is huge for me. But meeting some of the athletes in American sports it didn't mean that much to me. But I, I met Tom Brady for the first time a few years ago. Oh, cool. And we've had a really good relationship since. And to sort of pick his brain about things, he he is the most competitive person I have ever met. That's cool. It doesn't matter whether he's on the football field or whether he's on the golf course. Um, whatever he is doing, he is so competitive, and it's this, this, it's this drive and this passion and this fire to to be the best at what he does. And I love that about Tom, and I think that is why he's had such a great career. 
but he's been someone that I've really looked up to and didn't really know much about before I met him. Like I knew that he was a quarterback for the Patriots and he was a really good player, but you weren't an NFL fan. I wasn't really, yeah. yeah. But then getting to know him, I'm like, God, this guy is like so cool. Wired. Yeah. yeah. It's it's awesome. And it's great to see, even at, you know, I hope when I'm his age, I still have the passion for golf that he has for football. Cause he is like so in to what he does. As we um, as we go forwards with Whoop here, what are some things that you're excited about for the product or hope that we uh, can introduce or provide? Um, I don't know. I Obviously, I'm really happy with what you guys do right now. Sure. Um, sleep thing is cool. Obviously, the, the, the study that was published a couple of weeks ago yeah. in Arizona is awesome, sort of validates yeah. if you want to talk about that a bit more. Well, so you're referring to uh, this, the sleep validation that we had. Um, it's now published in the Clinical, of, uh, Clinical Journal of Sleep Medicine, yeah. and it says that WHOOP is the most accurate uh, non-invasive sleep monitor, which for us is like, I mean, we've been working at that for eight years That's now, awesome. so it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so I think knowing that I wear something on my body that is the most accurate out there is really cool and yeah and, um yeah i i mean you know we were talking just before this podcast about the metabolic unit that you guys are partnering yeah, with and with using that the technology Pinoy integration yeah exactly so that's something i'm excited to to try out as well but god i mean you guys are i mean doing a heck of a job and Thanks, it's really helped me i'm living a healthier life because of it and i'm also performing better and my careers become better because of it as well so and I think other players in the golf world have seen that and have started to wear it and I just I think it's just going to keep growing and growing I think it's awesome who's the most surprising person you've met who had a whoop strap on I saw Tiger was wearing one for a little bit yeah, so I, mess- cool. I messaged him and I said oh you're wearing a whoop he goes yeah but it doesn't help me sleep I said well, that's not the point I said measure your sleep <laughs> Because Tiger's a notoriously bad sleeper. Yeah. Um, I've always been fascinated about that in his career, that he's been so successful without sleep. Yeah, exactly. So um, I thought it was pretty cool that he was on it for a little bit. Yeah. I said, it doesn't put you to sleep. I mean, it just tells you how you <laughs> sleep. So, um, but I thought it was pretty cool that he was wearing it for a little bit to just, again, you know, someone that's the best at what he does and trying to get better and trying to figure out, okay, what can that, I do? Yeah, that's the thing that's amazed me so much, even from the earliest days, just how willing the world's bests are to get that extra point zero zero whatever. And in, in the case of Whoop, it looks like it can be more than that as an advantage. Definitely. I mean, I, you, how, how many hours like in our lifetime do we sleep? It's a third of our lives, hopefully. The, yeah, exactly. So you know, if, if, if you can do that right, you know, it makes the other two-thirds a lot easier. Well, look, man, I just want you to know it's a, it's a real uh, pleasure to get to do this with you. And it's such an inspiration to have, uh, you know, you talk about the value that you've gotten out of the product. Because for all of us who are grinding in the office and, you know, just hoping that we're creating something in this world that people get value out of, it's, um, it's really inspiring to see you oh, using thank it. Thank you. No, I, I again, it's, it's helped me an awful lot. And I know it can help everyone, whether you're a professional athlete or someone that just wants to feel better or perform better in your daily life or your job. I mean, it, it, it can help everyone. So thank you. All right. Well, thanks, brother. Thanks for coming on the podcast. This has been awesome. great. Thank yeah, you. Such a pleasure. Thank you to Rory for coming on the podcast. Rory, stay green during this crazy pandemic. Keep that respiratory rate flat. We're always rooting for you. Good luck uh, when golf gets back going. 
For those of you new to the Whoop platform, you can join for 15% off by using the code WILLAHMED at checkout. That's W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D. And that will give you 15% off a Whoop membership, uh, which includes hardware and software and analytics and a membership services team to really help you understand you. I uh, hope you'll check that out. And you can find us at whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com. Uh, for those of you Whoop members, uh, make sure that you've updated to the latest Whoop app. We've got some great new features in there. Uh, we just released respiratory rate only a few days ago, which is going to allow you to see your respiratory rate within sleep. Again, this is something that we've seen could be a precursor to COVID-19 symptoms. So if you have an elevated respiratory rate, it may be a sign that you have COVID-19. We're doing a ton of research with the Cleveland Clinic and CQU on that specific topic. We also just released a monthly performance assessment that incorporates all of your learnings from the WHOOP journal. It's going to be really powerful for people to understand how all of their different behaviors, lifestyle decisions affect their body. So check that out also in the WHOOP app. You can check out the locker too, where we're updating um, a ton of our findings on COVID-19 and other show notes related to various podcast guests. That's all I've got for you today. Wishing you and your loved ones health and happiness in this crazy time. Uh, We'll be back next week.